Welcome to Endless 08, a time loop anime podcast. I'm Duffo. I'm BJ. It is 2008. We are watching and discussing anime from 2008, the year that it is. What a good year that it is. It's a good year. We're watching anime. Uh, how are we watching anime? Um, I'm not D- sure what your question is. Are we D- describe the- your anime watching setup to oh, me. Oh, my setup. Um, yeah. If that's it- not too personal. What would it be? In 2008, I'm pretty sure my setup would have been I was living in a shed. Yes, I remember this, yeah. Um, yeah, living in a shed. Uh, there was no insulation. Um, we did have electricity, though. That was good. So I would have been like on my bed with my two of my other brothers, at least, um, lying on their beds doing whatever and watching. Uh, what would it have been? Watching whatever I would have been watching on a crappy secondhand LCD screen. Yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> with with 100% legally acquired anime, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, anime that uh, fell off the back of a truck in yes. the form of a hard drive. Yeah, I found it in the forest in a box, amongst a box, of, a box of porn. And I was like, oh, you know what? Fuck the porn. Look at that. That is one way you might have been watching anime in 2008. Um, another way that you might have been watching it is through the Surface Crunchyroll. Ah, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't think I heard about Crunchyroll at that time, at this time, because I just am not a very online person. So, as again, my, whatever I had access to was whatever people threw at me or that I found off the back of a truck or in a box in the woods. Yeah, it's become synonymous with anime watching in the West, I think. Yes, absolutely. I did not know this about Crunchyroll at the time. It did not operate in 2008 the way that it operates today. Okay. So, I was searching around for uh, anime news network coverage in 2008. Pinnacle of journalism. Good. (laughs) And I find this piece. They do an interview with Crunchyroll's uh, Vu Nguyen, Mm -hmm. who is one of the co-founders of Crunchyroll at the time. Okay. Uh, This is a three-page article. Uh, He gets fucking grilled. Oh, yeah, the first few questions here is it's just saying, okay, what are you doing? How are you getting started? He explains what they're doing at the time. And what it looks like at the time is they are running a bunch of servers which are hosting fan-subbed anime. Ah, okay. Good. So, <laughs> they've inserted themselves as a middleman for anime that hasn't been acquired in the West by anyone. Yeah, okay. So, fully legit. In other words. And at the time, they're running about 100 servers, and they're, the, the legality around this is very, very iffy, as you might imagine. I mean... And they're I'm, saying, you know, we, we're taking stuff down if anyone tells us to take it down. I mean, A, they're probably not, and B, I don't think it's iffy. I think it's a pretty hardcore no. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. So, here is a, a quote from this interview. The interviewer asks, did you ever feel a cognitive disconnect making money? regardless of what the money was used for, by providing illegal streams of the artist's work without a dime of it going back to the artists themselves. You weren't subtitling them yourselves either, just using external fan subs and making money by streaming them. Did that ever bother you? Did you ever think, stop and think, what are we doing? <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. I need to hear this. I'm going to kind of predict... Um I'm going to predict he's going to be uh, sound nicer and a bit wordier, but it's no. (laughs) (laughs) So I wouldn't say that, but a lot of people don't realize how much work and money it takes to keep a website running. All the donations went into operating expenses. We put in countless hours every week after work and school to make it a good side. We weren't trying to make a profit, but just keep the site running. We believe the same thing fansubbers do, that by growing the popularity of anime, we are growing the fan base in the industry. Yeah, and 
Uh, like as the interview goes on, I won't read the other parts of it, but he starts going, hey, we've been talking to fan subbers. They're all pissed off about you doing this, about you hosting their stuff. I can imagine. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, if any of them tell us to take it down, we take it down. And, and I'm sure they don't. Like, <laughs> it's, oh, boy. Are you later states? You have to talk to us. You can't talk to our mods on the forum. They're just volunteers. Oh. If you've told them about it, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> uh, of course. But then how do we get in contact with you? Oh, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So, as you can imagine, there's already some tension here. Uh, what also happens in 2008 is that Crunchyroll gets $4 million in investment funding. <laughs> the, and the kids said that they were doing it after school. So, this sounds like it was started and run by teenagers. Oh, it's it. they were coll- in college. Oh, okay. And it became their full-time job around okay. this point. Yeah, okay. That makes, that makes a bit more sense. Still, $4 million is a lot of money for illegal activities. <laughs> Very much. And, you know, this this came from the venture capital firm Van Rock, and it was this money that they used to acquire their first licenses. Yep. And then start their path to legitimization. Right. And this worked for them. What were, Do we know what their first licenses that they brought were? Oh, my God. Yeah, it is listed here. Um, the company unveiled its first legally authorized anime stream, a short from the Flash animated series that later became Eagle Talon the Movie, The Chancellor Only Lives Twice. Sounds like Crash. Okay, yeah, good. Getting right in on the ground floor. Yep. <laughs> wow. What I, I had no idea there was this history to Crunchyroll, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, I use it now pretty regularly. Not regularly. I don't. I still don't watch anime regularly, except for doing this. Um, but, you know, anytime I do feel like, oh, I should watch some Naruto again or something, because I'm an idiot, I will, like, just turn on Crunchyroll, because it's just easy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> It's interesting. That is the path. Um, we did not watch this one on Crunchyroll because it is not on there because it is too horny and too violent. <laughs> but I thought it would tie in well because there is a whole distribution story attached to this as well. So I, I am honestly more excited to discuss the pre- the production side of this than actually discuss the thing, if I'm honest, because, <laughs> dear God, I want to know who the fuck let these people do this. <laughs> The anime we are talking about is Rin, Daughters of Nemesis. <laughs> yes. All right. Leaving that in. Daughters um, of Nemosyne. Nemosyne. Nemosyne, I believe, is the correct pronunciation. Rin, Daughters of Nemosyne. Yes. <laughs> they have, it's, it's a bit of a pretentious title. Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I count. The only reason I looked up the pronunciation for this show is because at one point in the show... I was watching the Japanese dub, of course, and at one point the characters, um, uh, like one of the characters says the word nemosyne, and I'm like, is that the right way to say it? Because they didn't say nemosyne, they said something like munesiminiwu, or like something completely out there, hard pronouncing the M and the N at the beginning, and I'm like, hang on a minute, have I been saying it wrong my <laughs> whole life? Turns out I had been saying it wrong my whole life, but in a different way. Um, But yeah. It is a Greek word. It is the name of the goddess of memory. Yes. Which I guess makes some sense. Yeah, we'll get into it later, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what what is this show about? This show follows a pair of immortal women um, on their journey through time to try and, I don't know, help people out and discover something at the end. But that's not really the point at the beginning. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how to explain this one, to be honest. It's, it's, it's weird. Largely episodic. Uh, what we are dealing with here is not a 12-episode series. We are dealing with a six-episode series where each episode is twice as long as a regular anime episode. 
So it comes out to be the same length overall, but it is like six uh, sort of. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's I, I I appreciate that they did it because it because it was episodic. It gave more time to develop those stories. It wasn't just here's a thing, move on. Here's a thing, move on. Here's a thing, move on. It was we really got deep into a lot of those individual stories. Um, and they are encapsulated in the way that all of them have significant time jumps between them. Yes, uh, the first one is set in the early 1990s. And the last one is set in like 2066. <laughs> Something crazy. Yeah, I didn't. I, I think they might have put like dates up on the screen, but honestly, I didn't even notice them. I just mostly just watched out for, okay, where's the new weird tech coming out? Oh, look, they've got hologram things now. Crazy. Yeah. And each one of these has its own uh, encapsulated mystery for the first two thirds of the show. And then the last third of it is fucking something else. <laughs> uh, this was produced by Zebek. Uh, I know that name. Yeah, you should, because they have a 2008 blockbuster show, To Love Oh, that's how I know it. (laughs) Actually, no, I think I know where I actually know it is. I think they were involved in the recent uh, Evangelion Rebuild series. Okay. Yeah, I just remember that their name coming up on the title cards. I don't know how they're involved, but they're definitely somehow involved in that. Um, Yeah. But yeah, To Love Her. Yeah. Um, A lot of their stuff is, you know... Etchy, they're doing a lot of nudity. Yep. They are doing more graphic stuff in their anime than a lot of other studios. And so a lot of their work is being played on a cable channel that is called ATX. Okay. So at the time, uh, most anime is airing on the equivalent of Freeview over in Japan. Yep. And they are doing heavy censorship over it. Uh, you would have seen this kind of thing where they use like black bars or light strips. Yes, or Japanese like that. censorship laws are, qu- are really quite interesting. There's some very specific stuff that, um, like some very specific rules, things like um, cannot show genitalia at all, but you're technically not showing the genitalia at all if you cover up very specific sections of it, which is why if you see some. Japanese pornography, you will see images of like most of a vagina, but then there's like a little black bar over like two little sections of it. And then like, hey, cool. It's no longer a vagina anymore. Anyone? Yeah, cool. We can't. I can't see it. It's crazy. <laughs> Freeview is playing it a lot safer than that. Often there are, <laughs> um, you know, to lover is a perfect example yes. where if you watch the censored version of that, there are times when half of the screen is just not visible because there is a huge <laughs> beam of light that is saying, fucking don't look at any of this. <laughs> I always took it as a sign of God trying to, like, protect you. Yeah. But if you are watching this on a, a paid cable channel, which you need to have subscribed to the service to even, you know, get past that barrier, um, Japanese law says it is okay to then show, uh, for, you know, full frontal as long as it's animated. Yes. Cool. And so ATX is a channel that specializes in that and... This show is created to celebrate the 10th anniversary of ATX. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> hey, there we go. It makes so much more sense now. Yeah. There we go. The, they are saying, you know, we are the only channel around here that will show you boobs, that will show you graphic gore. We are the only horny, gross channel. We need to celebrate our horny and grossness by making the horniest and grossest <laughs> anime that I personally have ever seen. It's... I, I don't know that it tops that list for me, but it's up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to ask so much what tops that list, but you know what? We're just going to move on. 
Yeah, so they commission uh, Zebek. They get Genko involved uh, to produce this thing. Uh, they put together their uh, Yggdrasil executive committee, which oh, you yeah. probably saw in the yep. the credits yep. of that. That is a executive committee that's put together specifically for this show. Yeah, okay. So, so top tip for anyone in 2008, um, that's a group of guys not to go to. <laughs> yeah, and it is a... It has some associated things. They put out a light novel similar to Shigafumi, which we've talked about. Yeah. They yeah. work on a light novel and the light novel's ready a bit before the show. Yeah. Okay. So they put it out a few months beforehand and they start running a manga as well, which okay. starts releasing midway through when the show is airing. Oh, okay. Cool. So they're kind of blasting across all media at the one time. <laughs> <laughs> just so much boobs. Yeah, yeah. Just getting as many audience contact points as possible. Yep. <laughs> Okay, okay. I I feel a bit better about bagging the shit out of the show now because yeah, we, there wasn't like a grand vision or anything behind it. There, there was a let's show some boobs, guys. Uh, this may be upsetting to you. I think I'm going to defend this show at a lot of points. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I should I should I should be clear. Um, I did like this, but I. Overall, I feel that the gore and the um, nudity and the sex and everything is just a bit much and a bit unnecessary. Like, it feels like it's more there just for the shock and the spectacle than for actually building any important themes or any important, like, messaging. Yeah, and some of the value of that wears off, especially towards the very end of the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But there are also moments there, you know, when the, this is a show where the main detective in this she gets hurt a lot in yes. a lot of ways. And at the start of it, you know, she gets like a, you know, a shot or exploded and you're like, oh, shit. But then by like episode four, she's uh, getting like, a, you know, eviscerated and exploded several times per episode. And at that point, I, I was into it. Are you doing wrong? That was good. Like, I think the way that they used to with her was quite good. But I feel like I know, the villain... Just felt like, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to have him do this awful, heinous shit just to show that he's an awful, heinous person. But then didn't, like, escalate any of that or didn't change any of it. They were just like, yeah, he's still just stabbing another lady with a ball gag in her mouth. Mm. Just okay. Yeah. Doesn't I, feel particularly necessary. It works when it's playing by Jackie Chan rules. Um, yes. There is there, the famous interview I always think about with Jackie Chan is, like, I always want my character to have the shit being beaten out of him. Yes. For sure. When we're, when they're using it to make us feel something for our characters, there's even, like, speaking of the, the sex angle, there is one of the characters in the show, like, minor character is an informant who they can get information from, but this informant deals only in sex. Mm. Like, sex for information is the way that she works. Oh, this is an entire cabal of informants. Yeah, and at one point, one of the, not, 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 not Rin, our main character, but her kind of sidekick lady, ends up, because Rin's missing, she has to go and have sex to find the information she is not happy with it and i was like yeah this is an awful moment for someone who's not into that like absolutely this is working really well like that was a cool use of it but then we've also got the other bits like at the end when she has sex with the dude that gave her the powers i think and then i don't know why just yeah <laughs> we, we will come around <laughs> Uh, we will go back to the start of this show. Yeah. Uh, the episode one where we do get the setup. Um, Rin Asagi is our main detective. Um, she has obviously been alive for hundreds and hundreds of years, but she's kind of solidified in the body of, I would say, like an early 30s woman. Early 30s, late 20s, somewhere around there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
she's got long hair. She's a, a glasses girl. Yeah, it's long- kind of an ongoing thing that like she has to go buy new glasses each time her glasses <laughs> get destroyed, and she gets like very annoyed whenever it happens. Fun, fun joke in the very first episode that it didn't connect until towards the end when she's actually at an optometrist getting more glasses, and the guy's like, "You know, your eyes may be getting worse." She's like, <laughs> "Not fucking possible, dude." And at the, at, in the at the time, I was like. Oh, that's a weird kind of thing. But now looking back, I'm like, yeah, no shit, they're not getting worse. Her eyes are not capable of changing. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fun joke. So she works as a detective and uh, she works with her friend Mimi, who is also an immortal. Except is- Mimi is uh, was immortalized at the age of 16? Maybe younger? I, I'd, I'd put her early 20s. Early 20s? Okay. Again, this is my like, oh, that looks really young. She looked like potentially... Not legal level, but you know okay. she didn't. She didn't read teenage to me. <laughs> no, uh, there was a moment when they were in the bar. They went into a bar, and the guy behind the bar went, "Should you be in here?" What's the drinking age in Japan? Twenty-one. Twenty. Sorry, twenty. Yeah. Uh, Look, like, if you said to me she's nineteen, I would probably say yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I I will say she is of that trope that I I tend to really like. In certain situations, it gets problematic at different points, yes, um, where you've got the intensely older person who's been around for a long time in the body of, like, a teenager or, a, like, a young kid. Like, I find that a very funny, interesting trope. Mm. It got, It's used for sex. It does in this as well and in other places, and that's when it gets terrible. No, we don't, we don't like that. But when it's used for, like, normal things, cool, great, very fun. I like it. Cool character. Who... Yeah. Comes in every episode when yeah. asked when when Rin like asks this, for this water. Bit, this bit, I like this <laughs> when Rin asks for water. Mimi comes in and hands her a, and, and pours her a drink in a shot glass. You're like, oh, that's a weird way to drink some water. Turns out it's vodka every time. Yes, and uh, in the English dub, she always says uh, uh, vodka's Russian for water. You know. Yeah, <laughs> same thing in the Japanese <laughs> dub. Oh, just so silly. <laughs> Great stuff. So yeah, they've, they, these two have a basically a private detective agency, and in our first episode, they get uh, hired to. I can't even remember. Ah, she's hunting for a cat. Yeah, and she immediately gets bored of the cat thing. Yes, they're hunting for a cat, and she's just like, "Oh, what the fuck!" I, I for whatever reason, I thought that this cat was magical somehow, and I was like, "Is did this cat cause that truck crash?" Yeah, the the cat runs out in front of the road and there is a truck that crashes and it turns out to be a plot significant truck crash because it was transporting a guy who was being kept at an experimental medical facility. And he escapes and runs into Rin and Rin beats off the bad guys who are trying to take him back and then takes him back to their office and they have a chat and he goes, he says that he doesn't feel like himself he knows who he is but he doesn't feel that he is that person he's very confused and so rin says oh well nothing we can do about it for now why don't you come back to my place yeah (laughs) just casually yeah crazy she's a character who behaves in a way where she knows she's immortal and then she has a lot there are a lot fewer things that seriously threaten her (laughs) yes yeah yeah that's a pretty good way to put it um so Takes a t- takes him to her place. Nothing really happens. Importantly, um, come back to the office the next day, and they decide to investigate his life. Find out, you know, who he is and why does he feel so strangely. Uh, they go to his house and get ambushed by some bad agent dudes. Ren takes him out, no problem whatsoever. 
Eventually, we find out that um, they find the medical facility that he was being transported from, or transported to, doesn't matter, and they they get inside, try and you know figure out what's going on. When they get inside, they both get um, captured. Uh, he continues to be experimented on a little bit, and Rin gets taken by a sadistic research woman. Oh, yeah, they've got a mad scientist lady in here. <laughs> yeah, interesting, um, whose kink is giving people piercings. They said piercings, but it's more like just impaling them with very big objects. Yes. Yeah, um, and Rin's like... Take it because she knows she can. Um, lady thinks she's dead, leaves the room. Rin wakes back up and, yeah, busts her way out. On the way out, she finds zombies, which are just a part of this facility. And we find out that um, Corky, this guy's name, I forgot, uh, Corky is potentially a clone. We're not certain whether he is or not, I'm pretty sure. Like, he's never decided, yeah, he is a clone. He's probably a clone, but we, yes. we, we, don't, we don't see another Corky to have that problem. But we know that he was a subject of cloning and he could be one of the clones. Yeah. Um, uh, e- each one of these episodes does have a high concept sci-fi thing that it wants to tackle. And for this first one, it is cloning. It is genetics. It's, yeah, it's interesting. What's your read on this? Because the the villain scientist she gives her motivations for doing this she says i am hunting immortality this is a recurring thing throughout the whole story like rin is an immortal and she's constantly running into people who want immortality and are doing crazy shit to try and get it yeah and it- she believes that you know you you basically immortal if you just like keep recreating your own body yeah it's it's an interesting I don't know, paradigm to have everyone looking for it and she's already got it. And her opinion is basically kind of sucks, honestly. Like I've tried, she ends up saying at one point something along the lines of, I have, I've had to try really hard to find meaning in this immortality. And she's found that with Mimi by making this detective agency and by killing angels, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, But like, it's taken them a long time to get there. And I don't know, I guess that kind of cynicism of the world that you really don't expect a lot of people to actually find that meaning. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with her, honestly. Like, immortality doesn't sound very nice, everyone. And looking at what she goes through, nah, dog, I'm good. Just, just. <laughs> Although keep it this, this has always been a stance of mine. It is, it is suspicious the number of shows that exist in our media uh, where the point is immortality bad. <laughs> that's, that's not a message we actually need to convey to anyone. <laughs> No, but I think that's I think that's just the creators trying to like again, I think for a lot of creators, using that immortality and that message of immortality is a way of kind of roundabout addressing what is the meaning of life and that if you can live forever, there is inherently no meaning to life because you can't die. Life has no meaning if you cannot die. Yeah, it's a sort of shorthand for how you find meaning in the fleetingness of yes. what we have right now. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's an interesting way of doing it, but I think, yeah, pe- a lot of shows and media tends to just get bogged down in that and doesn't really have that nice, clear, concise message at the end. Yeah. Um, I, sh- I should say some people actually do need to hear this because there are freaks who, there's one guy especially I keep hearing about who like uh, gets transplants of his 
son's blood into his body. Oh, yeah, I've heard <laughs> of that guy. All the, yeah, weird rich people that are on some uh, Theranos shit. Yeah, let's, let's not do that, everyone. Stuff with oh. blood and yeah. taking a, a huge cocktail of drugs to... Yeah, and I don't know, it's an interesting interesting way to try and address that idea. Um, does it work in this one? Yeah, kind of. Like I, I, th- I, so I was complaining about the violence before and the gore, but honestly, that kind of helps to address the idea that, like, yeah, sure, you're immortal, but if your life is going to be hell mm. while you're immortal, oof, probably not worth it. Yeah, uh, it, it did click to me midway through the show. I was because I was kind of thinking, oh, wouldn't they get used to the pain at this point? But then I'm thinking, no, because if your body's regenerating, your nerves are also regenerating. Yeah, we should we should the note that the, the mechanic of their and this comes up later in another episode, um, the mechanic of their immortality is that if something happens to their body, it gets regenerated in the state that they, at the moment that they gained immortality, which is why Mimi is only 18, 19, whatever. Yeah. And uh, Rin is late 20s, early 30s-ish. Like that is the moment in, in their life, in their human physiology that they became immortal so everything reverts back to that moment which is again why she has glasses her eyes cannot heal any more than they currently any they cannot heal any damage further than what she'd already had at that moment um yeah interesting yeah so it there's a duality that's happening here in this show because all of the uh mystery adventures we're going on are sci-fi mystery adventures but that's she's not an immortal for sci-fi reasons. No, she is an immortal for fantasy reasons. There is this thing called Yggdrasil. Is it just Yggdrasil? The tree yeah, of Yggdrasil? Yeah. I can't remember exactly what they call it. Um, again, we've got that, this idea of we've got this uh, like mythology and this mythology and this mythology, but they're not really used in any interesting way other than like, that Yggdrasil is literally the tree of life. Like... Nothing deeper than that. Just, yeah, it's over there. We've got. They come around to the idea in the end that Apos has been going around spreading mythologies about the time fruits on purpose. Yep. So we should say the time fruits are how someone becomes immortal. They come from the tree of Yggdrasil. The tree of Yggdrasil releases spores. Only people who are immortal can see this tree. And every now and then, one of those spores will be a, a f- time fruit. Yes. Um, and if one of those time fruits touches a woman, like passes through them, they will become immortal in that moment. Yes. Um, and any other, uh, all the other spores just pass through people harmlessly. It's weird. The mythology thing is strange because we've got the tree of Yggdrasil, which is North's mythology, but then the, the show is called Daughters of Mnemosyne or whatever yeah. the fuck it is, which is a Greek god, but there's no... I don't know, there's no deeper meaning to any of them than just, I mean, ah, that's just memory. That's just ah, Japanese like, anime shit. Right? Yeah, it that's is. That's like but, shitting on Evangelion for yeah, it's, it's I, wild I, biblical use. Yeah, and I would never shit on Evangelion because it's probably my favorite show of all time. <laughs> um, but I don't know, it just, why not stick with something, like with one? Mm. Why, why make it so disconnected and weird between all of them? Uh, so yeah, by the end of the episode, if we can get back to that. Yeah. Um, by the end of the episode, they find out that he's a clone. Uh, they find the zombies, which is what the group has been making. Um, and the evil lady gets trapped in the base with the zombies and then the base blows up. Uh, but before it does, Apos appears. Apos is our villain. Um, and he... Yeah, we should tell you all who Apos is. <laughs> he's a short, white-haired boy. 
yeah. uh, like 18, 20, 25, something like that. Like yeah. not old, but not teenager really. Um, and he is just an absolute sadistic bastard. Yeah, he's a guy who, uh, for the first few episodes, just shows up to be a shithead for no reason. Yeah, and he likes to, like, eat the f- fruit time fruits and give people time fruits. And I don't yeah. know if we see it in this episode, but he does end up giving this lady a time fruit. Um, unfortunately, he does it as she's dying. <laughs> so, oh, we'll come back to that later. Uh, but yeah, as they leave, um, they it's up on the hill, the guy comes to understand that he potentially is a clone and so Rin just gives him a gun and says it is up to you to decide what you do with your life and she leaves here's a gunshot feels bad drives off but the next scene he comes back in the office with a bandage on his head and he's like hey i'm gonna join you guys <laughs> cool yeah and he's our new detective he is our new detective this guy who is bad at shooting himself in the head i don't know that i want to trust this guy with any kind of fighting <laughs> yeah I would say uh, this is a show that goes through big time skips between episodes. Uh, I, I was actually pretty thrown off going from episode one to episode two, recognizing that the guy there was kooky still. Very much me as well. The the bit that tipped me off was the he's got a little white streak in of his hair at his temple from the gunshot. Oh shit! Oh, it's from the gunshot. I didn't even think about that. I just, just like I, I, weird, yeah. I saw the white streak and went. I don't remember him having that in the first episode, but honestly, his kind of animation and like his design is just kind of generic yeah. Japanese dude. So I'm just, I just kind of went, oh, it was probably always there and I just didn't notice it. But no, then I kind of like eventually I saw the ex- the new tech and went, oh, hang on a minute. No, yeah, this is, this is a different time altogether. It's cool. It's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. It really, it, it helps to highlight the fact that these are immortals. Like they live for a long fucking time. Yeah. Cool. It's good. The second episode I liked a lot. I I think all the parts where investigation is happening are good for me. Yes. Yeah. You know, where we start making all these touch point informant characters. Like we said, we have the, the, the horny informants who want to have sex for information. Uh, we have this one cop dude who sucks and is a coward. <laughs> Like, those are his character traits. He's he, constantly, like, she'll go to him for information. He's like, I don't want to get involved. <laughs> he's like, don't, don't look at me. We're meant, to, we're meant to not be knowing each other. It's just like, oh, yeah, like last year. And he's like, fucking shut up. <laughs> yeah, he's being blackmailed is kind of the implicit thing there. You never find out what for, but it's... No, it, it seems like it's something silly rather than something actually dangerous. Like, yeah. oh, he actually, like, got drunk and naked at a party or something. Not a, like, oh, he killed a dude. Um, but, yeah, it's... He, I think he might be he's not my favorite character but he's one of my favorites because he's he's got that consistency but he does grow over time like when we see him later on in the show he is a grizzled cop who's like if i could have seen all this shit before even talking about the crazy stuff that he has he's not he, he isn't privy to a lot of it but he's like sees some of the stuff he's like ah oh, yeah whatever this is normal yeah rin rin doesn't age whatever that's fine that's just her <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's a cool character yeah i do like that she doesn't Often there will be people in her life that don't realize she's an immortal until like 20 years have gone past and they go, hang on. (laughs) Or she just pretends to be her own daughter. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was really interesting when that happened. Um, But how can we forget the most important character? The dog. They have an immortal dog. There is a big, fluffy, immortal dog. And this dog exists to be shot in brutal fashion. Yes, it does. If if you come to a show and you're like, I don't want to see a dog getting shot which is an entirely reasonable way to feel. 
this isn't the show for you. Yeah, no. If you want, if you want, watch the first like three episodes and then just like assume that their lives go on doing the investigation stuff. Like, yeah, cool, great. Don't don't watch further. It just just gets sad. It's so strange because the thing about the dog getting shot is it never happens in front of any of the main characters. Yeah. So there's not even an emotional response there. Yeah. It's yeah. just the dog gets shot, and then by the time we've, the we've got a waste of a up, dog shooting. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, if you're gonna go through the effort of shooting a dog, make it meaningful. Don't just make it. Oh, it's a thing that happened. Mm. <sighs> ah. So yeah, uh, uh, women can be immortal. Dogs can be immortal. Uh, but men have a different reaction to time for its entirely. And the second episode is basically dedicated to setting this up. Yeah, we come. We we uh, sorry. Corky in his investigations comes across a woman who wants to see an angel because she believes that her brother was taken away by the angel or something along those lines. Um, and throughout the episode, uh, we come to learn that angels are related to the immortal women thing. And basically whenever a man gets, comes into contact with a tam fruit, instead of becoming immortal, they become an angel, which is basically an awful demon thing with blood wings that lives pretty much to find immortal women, have sex with them, and eat them. Yes. Again. And there is. <laughs> what what metaphor? What theme yes. are we going for here? I yeah. This this stuff was strange. This stuff never quite landed for me. No. <laughs> but the it's it's presented as, you know, it's a it's a curse for men. They have a very short lifespan. They really struggle to keep hold of any of their mental faculties. Yep, they can for a, a brief moments if they're kind of strong-willed enough, but yeah. it, eventually it will fall away. Um, yeah, it's, of course, being a non-binary person, I had I hit this moment and went, hang on a minute, what happens to me? What the fuck's going <laughs> to happen there? And then the show, the show comes around on it. The show fucking came around on it, and I was like, oh my god, you answered my question, look at that. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Anyway, um, in this episode, uh, so it mm. turns out the brother has become an angel mm. and he's been killing people related to a secret kind of criminal activity that he was involved with. There's some fun convoluted stuff here where they get hired to find a stamp, like a really rare old stamp. Um, she goes to this the homeless guy that lives in the park that used to be a professor, lost all his money FX trading, which happened to a lot of Japanese people at the time. Yeah. Uh, and he's got this one other rare stamp where he says, you know, I, I could sell this and be back in a house again, but my pride just won't allow me to do it. Um, he then gets assassinated by a sniper in the park. Doesn't get killed? No. no. He's, no, he's he, hospitalized. He, yeah, he dies at the end. Doesn't he, doesn't, he? he doesn't come out of the hospital. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yep. So he does end up getting killed. Yeah, he gets assassinated for this stamp. Yeah, and then Rin goes and has a sniper. Well, I say a sniper duel. It's just her versus a sniper. In a park in the middle of Tokyo. Yeah, and the sniper <laughs> is very Metal Gear. Yeah, it's um the sniper. It's, the sniper does end up being Stamp Dude, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Because um, my understanding of this, and I'll run this by, because the show doesn't super neatly tidy this up. Yeah, th- that's why I'm asking if it was Stamp Dude shooting because I can't actually remember because it was very convoluted. <laughs> yeah, there is a hitman who will only accept jobs if you pay him in rare stamps. Fantastic. <laughs> like, oh my God, that like that is our Metal Gear Solid moment. Like, yes, I love it. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this group of like Soviet extremists want to assassinate this uh, Russian official while he's in Japan. 
and they want to go to this stamp assassin and they need to find a rare stamp. And so their plan is they hire Rin to go find this this rare Sutherland stamp. They probably at this point know that she, they don't know where the Sutherland stamp is, but they're like, in her investigation, she will probably lead us to someone that has a rare, that, stamp. That has a rare stamp. And when he shows up, they go, okay, good enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's about what it is. I, they also used the the assassination of the important German uh, higher up. Uh, like they use it as a, when they're talking to Corky to try and get things done, they want to keep him out of danger. And so they use it as a just basically a distraction for him. So when I watched, I didn't actually connect the fact that those assassins were looking, the, the people behind the assassination were looking for a stamp. Like I just went like, oh yeah, we've got this stamp shooting dude and we've got those guys over there, but they're like unimportant to our actual story. But yeah, okay. That, what you've said makes more sense to me. It's probably what they were going for. Yes. They didn't, they didn't succeed. <laughs> they could have been somewhat for. more clear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that might've been down to like, they've got the whole, whatever, 45 minutes to fill in the episode. And given that this is not a normal format for an anime, like the writers are probably still trying to, at this point, figure out how to fill that entire amount of time. And so you do that by making a slightly more convoluted, you know, plot, but you know, yeah. In, in making that longer, they don't probably don't have that experience, and so it just kind of gets a bit muddled. It's interesting. It, it, it wants to give you the impression that this is the A plot and that the angel stuff is the B plot, but you know, it does the reversal at the end. Yes. And they say, hey, actually, the angel is the main thing happening here. He has been going around doing a bunch of murders in the city, and he's he's... I don't fully understand why he had it out for the assassin. Yeah, I, I, I again, I think there was... Again, they muddled it. I think there was some kind of... He was involved in some criminal activity that was happening. He, and he was a hacker. The guy who became an angel was a hacker. Yeah, and he was getting revenge against certain people. He was getting revenge against certain people in, involved in that whatever plot that was that he had uncovered in his hacking or something like that. Yeah, right, because he assassinates the, the triad people who are smuggling the the guns in that were going to be used in the assassination. Ah, that's what it was. Yeah, okay. Like, I don't think he cared about the assassination. He was just like, <gasps> there's some bad guys and yes. just decided to kill them. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, uh, in the end, they find the angel. Rin ends up getting taken by the angel, kind of willingly. I'm yes, putting air quotes the there. sort of detail we've brushed over here. Uh, being in the presence oh. of an angel makes the immortal women overwhelmingly horny and... Uh, Incapable of doing anything, which... yes. Fucking again, if we're going with themes and metaphors, this is a problematic one, my guys. Like, really, really bad. Uh, like, I, I like the theme metaphor of, like, I don't know, like a, in a kind of feminist empowerment kind of way of, like, all men with power are just, like, sex hungry and just want to basically want to consume. Like, that's an interesting one we can go with, but... Whenever those men are in contact with immortal, nearby immortal women, the immortal women just fall to pieces. Oh, yeah. No, that's not. I, I understand that they want to give the immortal women an Achilles heel. Makes sense. Why the fuck is it <laughs> you get overcome with lust? Oh, like, because we're on ATX. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and, and here is here is one of those points where we've got the, the sexy horniness. And I'm like, we just don't need that, guys. You just <laughs> if, if it was just when, like, an angel is near an immortal woman, the immortal woman, like, just becomes unable to function. Yeah, okay. Like, whatever. It's sci-fi weird fantasy shit. Like, whatever. We're making up the rules. That's fine. It doesn't need to be weird. <laughs> 
the the way I kind of had to rationalize this in my head. Do you know how there are video games that often come out towards the start of a console's cycle? <laughs> And the point of them is just to show how good the graphics can be on this and what it can do with it. Yeah, so you're talking about God of War, right? How God of War had that, like, the sex mini game. Like, didn't need to be. Remember, they were like, look what we can do with button mashing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So anytime something like that happened, I'm like, okay, they're on ATX. They need to show. They're, they're like, oh, we can do this, motherfuckers. We've got a quota of horniness we need to meet. And yeah. that's, that's how we're hitting it. Because if we don't, we're no different to any other fucking network. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. I'm not happy about it, but it makes sense. <laughs> um, so Rin gets captured by this angel. They go to a park somewhere and she manages to hold herself together to kill the angel before it eats her. Um, and it's time fruit falls out and she ends up giving it to Corky. Why? I don't know. Because it will be plot relevant in a later episode. Yeah, true. At some point she says that it's with someone I trust. Which, yeah. Yeah, okay. They're, they are kind of useful things to have around. And she makes a point of holding onto this for ages and it ends up being a very important tool by the end of the show. Yes, yeah. And, uh... Should mention probably that Apos is um, his kind of thing at this point is going around, as I said, collecting the time fruits and giving them out, but mostly collecting the time fruits and consuming them himself. Yes. Which is very interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah, there we go. Episode three. <laughs> I, f- I feel it was kind of the weakest plot wise. This is the one about the the island with the disease oh, on it. Oh, yeah. People start getting this weird disease that ends where when the people get it, they end up with marks on them that look like the strange red flowers. And you can only... This, this disease was found on a particular Japanese island out in the middle of nowhere and was eradicated because the island disappeared. Uh, it sunk into the ocean, yes. Yeah, but, but it's back. And oh, yeah, f- it did not sink into the ocean. My apologies. Oh, yeah, it, 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 again, air quotes, sunk into the ocean, which everyone believes. Um, and, but now the thing is back. So they're investigating where it came from. And it turns out that our evil scientist lady, she's back. Oh, she's back. She's got a, a mech exoskeleton now. She's got a now. cyborg body. Cause <laughs> as she explains, um, when you, uh, get, hit, when you, when an, a time fruit enters your body, um, you will regenerate back to how it was at that moment. And at that moment, she was like missing most of her limbs and half of her organs because she was blown up and eaten by zombies. Yes. Uh, so she basically ended up being put in a hospital and repeatedly treated until eventually medical technology could catch up to the point that she could be, uh, without being re- revived herself with her powers, but she could be medically brought back to a, a livable and even more powerful form. Yeah. Very interesting. So, yeah, Apos does this for her and uh, says, keep going on your weirder research. Get weirder and eviler. Yeah, please do. And And she does. So she finds this uh, was being experimented on as a potential bioweapon by the imperialist Japan during World War II. Yep. Um, Um, And then when they kind of eventually figured out how it kind of works, uh, they... uh, wiped the island off all maps and went, oh, yeah, it's sunk into the ocean. How crazy is that? When the island's really there and the research has been continuing anyway. Uh, like, on the down low, thanks to the gangs and I think the triads took it over or something. 
it's, it's not yeah, the government. Back a bit. They weren't particularly important there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the research has been continuing it. She's now helming it. And the reason she's helming it is because as an immortal now, she's decided she wants to make the world a paradise for immortals by killing off everyone else. Yes. She's got plans to spread the bioweapons via migratory birds, which is how they end up catching her because she it like kidnaps an ornithologist. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the the trail that like, you know, doesn't connect with anything else and that's how the detectives find out that yeah. what she's doing there. It's, it's yeah, it's it's a weird episode. Um but to, in the end to kind of take her out and like save everyone, um that uh Corky ends up ingesting the uh fruit the life fruit, time fruit, whatever. The, the, ends up taking in time the orb. Fruit, yeah. And uh, becomes a demon and holds his will together long enough to save Rin and to destroy the bad woman. Yes, they have a big fight scene on a ship. Yes. <laughs> where where he, he just sinks the entire vessel. Uh, and bef- as she dies, uh, Apos appears and goes to take her time fruit back, loses it and ends up taking Corky's instead. So again, this time fruit is continuing on throughout um, the years. Yeah. Now it's an Apos's grasp, though. <gasps> what are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, m- moving forward, like, this is, uh, you know, we're halfway through the series. We have now dropped off one of our main characters, which is... Corky. Corky Mayena. And they they say it as Kooky in the dub. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, ooh, awful. <laughs> Yikes. Which is why I've been saying it that way. They Did they really call him Kooky? That's... Or, or like, Cookie. Oh, Sometimes. oh, oh. <laughs> the, the line reads differ. That's fucked. Mm. Oh. So you're like, okay, we've lost a main character. You know, who's who's going to be brought in after this? Uh, the answer is his son. His son comes along. <laughs> this, this becomes is... like a generational thing. Yeah, like, I, which I like. It's a really interesting idea. Cool stuff. Like it. By the end, they explain it. But at the beginning, it feels a bit like, oh, it's weird that like, you know, it's this one family that keeps having things happen but you know it gets it ends up getting explained at the end a bit which okay yeah fair enough so that that last episode we've described was taking place uh you know uh, around modern day yeah 2008 yeah was that set in 2008 i, I don't think 2008 exactly might have been like a bit earlier in the thousands okay. i just I, I again i cannot remember whether or not they actually put dates up at the beginning of each of the episodes like years i don't they did at one point again in Episode four, I'm pretty sure they put up that it was like 2035 or something like that. Like they put up yeah. a date, but I don't remember any of the other ones. Again, I was just looking out for like, oh my God, they've got like fish in the floor now. Wow, it's the future. <laughs> but and in the future, Heelys are cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we open with, uh, uh, we open on, turns out, Corky's son in yeah. cyberspace. In yes. VR cyberspace with a girl. He's, he's cyber sexting. He's, he's, he's getting in VR chat. <laughs> he's not even sexting, though. It's like they're in a dingy bathroom mm. in cyberspace, fully going at it. Crazy, weird stuff. Um, and they say, hey, let's meet in the real world. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, why not? Like, I say they because they both end up saying, let's meet. They both end up saying, oh, I don't know, that seems weird. Despite the fact that they both want to. Very mm. confusing. But anyway, that happens. Uh, we find out that, uh, who is this? What's his name? The uh, Taruki. Taruki, that's his name. Um, Taruki is a bit of a shithead. 
I mean, kind of makes sense. His dad fucking disappeared one day and never heard back from him again. So he's, he's, he's got, got some, some abandonment issues. Abandonment he's, he's issues? acting out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, he is wandering around one night, graffitiing stuff with his heelys, and all of a sudden, the girl from the sex chat, who shouldn't exist because she's a like a chatbot, effectively, mm. is here in front of him. He's like, what the fuck? She kisses him. Runs off and gets shot by a bunch of agents. And then... Cork, uh, <laughs> shit. What's his name? Taruki. <laughs> and then Taruki has to run off as well before getting... Like, to avoid getting shot. And he ends up coming across Rin. No. He comes across the police dude, who is now an old yes. man. Yes. <laughs> like he's in his grizzled old man era. Yeah. So, he comes across him and this guy's just like, yeah... I know who's I know who you got to speak to, and he takes him to Rin. Yeah, it's very funny. Like Rin actually refuses to believe him at first. She's <laughs> like, "Okay, you've been in VR a bit too long. Yeah, your head's getting all muddled." And the and the police dude is guys like, "Nah, this kid's saying something like, you know, you wouldn't make that shit up." And so they investigate further. They find out, yeah, shit really did happen. Yeah, this is an episode where Mimi gets to flex a lot because yeah. her thing is that she is a hacker, and in the past she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm hacking." I'm, recovering deleted files off this floppy disk. <laughs> but she has actually kept her technical knowledge up. Yes. And so the the t- the table that she has there in their office, she's just converted into like a full holographic display. Cool Which stuff. she is using to like hack into networks and like, uh, like secure top secret shit. And she's trying to trace down this avatar. So the, the avatar, I've got the name here, Ruon. Ruon, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which... Like, everyone recognizes Ruon as being, like, the, the Hatsune Miku of this era. That's a good way to put it, yeah. It is. It's, it's like a rig that anyone can use. Yep. And, you know, people do regularly use it. And, um, For sex and things like that. Mostly for sex, sex and things like that. Mostly sex. Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's strange that he would have met one in real life at all. Yes. So they investigate. They find out that Ruon, as, like, the avatar, is a... It's made by a like an AI dude. Um, yeah. The, it happens killed. to be made by the guy who is the biggest genius of computers. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, and he killed his daughter. Yes. Which, okay. Yeah, cool. Obviously connecting the dots as an audience when you're like, okay, he killed the daughter to make her into the chat bot. Mm. Like, yeah, and that's what happened. Crazy stuff. Uh, anything else important? Not really. We get to the end. Um, they end up finding out that, the uh, dude made a body, a real world body for Ruin to inhabit so that she could be in the real world. And he was kind of blackmailed into doing that by the Ruin AI chatbot. Um, and turns out that AI chatbot is just absolutely insane and was using Taruki to get it. When she kissed him, she put some data in his lip in like a thing i'm not entirely sure how that worked um but she needed that data and eventually they end up getting like meeting up again and she takes that data from him and can become a real woman in the real world wow yes but yeah this it's it's interesting to me in that you know this was 2008 and they are talking about stuff that you'd knock out in a black mirror episode yeah (laughs) nowadays where you know mimi starts talking about like learning language models and machine learning. <laughs> yeah, very much. That it was very much ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. Um the 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 big clue to like what's gonna happen here is um they refer to as the the Lila Dam 
Yeah, I, project. That's the name that's attached to I'm, it. I'm going to be honest. I just fucking glazed over that. Bit. I, was like, I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, they do explain that that's the the French author who wrote the Future Eve, which is the book that invented the phrase Android. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, and the the synopsis of that story is that the plot twist at the end of uh, the Future Eve is that the cyborg that he's made for this guy is like a perfect wife is actually a a woman that he killed and supernaturally attached as a ghost to the, the android body. Right. Okay. So they stole this story. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's. I'm, yeah. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, it is a remix. It is a homage. <laughs> a remix. They sampled the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've read that story, haven't you? Yeah. 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 Okay. Of course, uh, you fucking have you fucking it, nerd. It, it cops a lot of flack for being a very misogynistic story. <laughs> Book nerd. You. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in the end, uh, they end up killing the Ruan bot by, like, they, like they try and they're in a plane for whatever reason. Um, yes, and- the part of this episode is the the scope of, of violence is going up by tears because Apos has now got himself some contacts in the military and is able to just call the militia in. That's right. I forgot about this. Moment. There are tanks that like just roll up when they're trying to like drive away. And, they're in, like, they're on the run them. from from something random, and the amp the the highway is empty, and they're like, "That's weird. Haven't seen a car in a while." And then just a bunch of fucking tanks rock up and just <laughs> blow the shit out of everything. Yeah. So, like, at one point, a guy runs up, like, they shoot, he shoots two of them, throws their bodies in the car, and then chucks a grenade in as well and yeets himself out. Like, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? This is this is a bumper episode for Rin because uh, she gets shot in this one, she gets stabbed, she gets exploded with a claymore, she gets exploded with a grenade. Uh, she gets, like, a hydrochloric acid tipped on her oh, yeah, when she's fighting the well. assassin. That was oh, pretty brutal. Yeah. And then at the very end of this episode... To kill the ruin bot. They're in the plane and they're struggling and then they end up like knocking out a door. So they both kind of get thrown out of the plane. And like Rin's holding on, the ruin bot's holding on to her and the door. And she sees the jet turbine behind her and decides to let go. And they both get mulched in a jet turbine. What the fuck? Yeah. See, this is when the hyperviolence was fun to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And actually, what I like about this is that that ends up having repercussions in our next episode. So in our next episode, we're further in the future again. But it turns out Rin's been gone for years. Oh, yeah, like decades. Decades. Like, nobody's seen her. No idea where she is. Um, Mimi has become (laughs) a religious figure. She's a a Buddhist nun. (laughs) Like an immortal Buddhist nun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, they're having a lot of lesbian sex in the, have, yeah. in the Buddhist monastery. Um, she's put together a network of other immortal women, yeah. like just as many as she can find so that they can all like stick together and kind of like help them, help each other. Uh, but turns out that more and more immortal women are being killed by what appears to be Rin, who, again, they were immortal women, so how, how are they getting killed? This, this immortal Rin is reaching into them, taking out their time fruit and... Eating it. Crazy. Um, turns out the immortal Rin, the, the immortal, the our fake Rin over here is actually basically like a cyborg clone. Oh, yeah. Well, specifically, it is the cyborg that we have been dealing with this whole time. It is her? <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah okay. she's just you know, using Rin's body. I, I thought it was, but that was never explicitly and clearly spelled out. In the dub that I, in the Japanese dub that I could see, like it was implied heavily and looked like it, but they never actually said, "Oh, 
Your what's her name? Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it turns out Rin is alive, but she's lost her memories. Yeah. Uh, so we have a new main character that we follow for a bit here. Um, it is again in the Mayano family. We meet Mishio Mayano. Mishino Mayano, who is the daughter of Teruki, who managed to survive. He's an old man now. Not he's only who survive, is, he's he, an executive <laughs> CEO of some... Uh, some energy company or something. It is an energy company. Yeah, like oil and like nuclear power and all those kinds of things. He's just like running it all. Like, oh, Saudi Arabia wants more... In interviews, yeah, sure, whatever, we'll do that. Like, yeah, yeah, he's he's tied up in nuclear power specifically. Yeah, weird stuff. Uh, so Michio, um, she is a teenager. Yeah, she's uh, a bit of a bratty rich girl. Yeah, introduced mostly naked, wearing an underwear, which yeah, cool, great. Well, I guess they want to convey to us that it is the future 2.0 has become the new 1.0, and you can just download your clothes. <laughs> Yeah, it's virtual reality fashion, and it's still awkward. Somewhat, yes. <laughs> um, cool as well. Don't get me wrong. Like, if I could change my outfit without doing anything, absolutely, I'd be all there for it. But you know what? I still probably wouldn't trust it. I don't want the power to go out, and all of a sudden, <laughs> everyone's just <laughs> naked. No, I'm good, thanks. Um, anyway, uh, she's around. She's doing bratty rich girl things, and she comes across in her dad's stuff an old USB drive, effectively. Yeah, well, yeah, her sort of good trait that is presented is that she has an inquisitive spirit. She's <laughs> She's got the detective gene. She's got spunk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so she finds this thing, goes through it and finds f- photos of Rin. She's like, that's not mum. Who the hell is that? Mum's not around for yeah. whatever reason. Um, and she's like, who the hell is that? Oh, weird. Anyway, I'm off to a party. And she goes to a big fancy party. And at that party sees Rin and it's like, what the hell? That's, that's weird. It's that lady. That, but that photo was like 20 years old and there she is looking exactly the same. Crazy. When she goes out drinking with her friend while she's drunk, stumbling back home, she stumbles across Rin again in the woods, basically. And she's like, oh, that's weird. It's Rin. And this Rin just like fucks off and keeps going. And then as she turns around, she's like, oh, that's a dead lady just there. That's awkward. Calls the police. Please come along. There's no more dead body. She's like, what the fuck? Yeah. What's so she on? starts investigating this herself. She starts investigating. I wanted to ask about what kind of choice they made here in the uh, the original version. Yeah. Because in the dub, <laughs> one of this character's traits is she's got like a, you know, a regular sort of Americanish accent for most of it. But sometimes she does a bit where she pretends to be, be Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, she's like play yeah. acting a conversation between Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Yep, she does that with her friend. She calls her friend Watson. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when she does this in this dub, she puts on this British oh, voice here. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's like elementary, my dear Watson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, in the original, that doesn't happen. She just like mentions like, hey, cool, Watson, let's go do the thing. And he's like, what the fuck is that? And she's like, I'm Sherlock, you're my assistant, Watson, let's go. Do, do the Japanese have a concept of a British accent? Because um, there, there are ways where when you are speaking Japanese, sometimes Japanese people will look at you and go, oh, you must be from this country because of how you pronounced your vowels there. Yeah, that can happen. Um, mostly it just ends up manifesting as, oh, you're foreign. Yeah, right. So, the, don't get me wrong. There will definitely be people who will be able to, like, 
distinguish between the fact that there are different accents and whatnot. And Japanese people understand there are different accents because when they hear people speaking English, which most most Japanese people learn some amount of English in their schooling, um, and hearing different English speakers with different accents can really throw a lot of them off when somebody says hello and somebody goes, hello, and they're like, hang on a minute, is that the same word? Oh, it is. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, but, you know, there's not, especially in media, there's not really that defined granular difference between the two when when putting on those accents it's mostly just oh i'm sounding foreign by speaking english yeah right it's effectively what it is Mm. yeah um so yeah they investigate they find out that rin is alive like the rin that we know not the fake one but our rin is alive and she is working a desk job she she's in the she's in the cube factory. Yeah, she's in the cube factory yeah. making cubes. You show her doing her job. She is sitting in a cubicle with two orange squares, shoving them together. And, and they make a blue cube, I think. And, and then she when she then, likes it, she shows it to her boss, and the boss says, "You're doing great work here." The boss goes, "You're doing great work. I'm going to take over your project." And she's like, "Fucking all right." That boss is the lady that got killed. Yes. Turns out she is an immortal. And she got killed by the fake Rin because she was an immortal. That becomes a kind of drama at the workplace. Where everyone's like, oh my God, apparently she's been missing. Anyone know anything? And the Rin, our Rin goes, no idea. I didn't fucking like her, but I've got no idea. And I'm like, what are you saying? You're incriminating yourself. Why don't say that? Um, and she's got herself a love interest. Yes. You know, there's a very dramatic scene where the, uh, the man or girl has followed her to a restaurant uh, where she's meeting with her lover and uh, Rin is saying to the lover, there's something you don't know about me. I'm actually an amnesiac. I have no idea who I am. And this dude, props to him, is like, whatever. I don't care. Let's just go for it. We'll figure it out together. And she says no and runs off crying. Yeah. Oh, devastating. Um, but then they do later. Uh, Mishio goes to her dad and says, hey, I met Rin. And dad's like, what the fuck? You met Rin? Where? Tell me, like, where? I need to see her. He goes off to see her, meets her and, like, says, oh, my God, Rin, it's you, and tries to connect with her. And she's like, what the fuck? I don't understand. Do you know something about my past? Please tell me. And at that moment, he goes, oh, shit, she's got amnesia. I don't particularly want to ruin her life by opening her up to all this stuff. So, sorry, my bad, wrong person, and runs away. She's fucking devastated. And this was such a hard moment to watch. Um... And I will say they probably do character drama the best in this episode. Yes, for sure. Um, And with that, uh, then she comes to accept that, yeah, she's a new, she she is herself and goes to her partner, her lover and goes, yeah, you know what? Let's get together. It'll be fantastic. And then (laughs) the robot assassin lady appears and blows the fuck out of the building. (laughs) They get exploded by a Santa impersonator. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that was a weird, weird scene. But yeah, cool, great. Um, and M- Mishio is here while this is happening and comes in and uses her cool futuristic hologram skills to distract her and kick her in the fucking face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Breaks her ankle while doing it, but oh, man, amazing. Um, with this explosion, Rin has come to recognize who she is again. She's got her memories back. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me. It suggests that uh, after she was regenerated from the turbine incident like her brain didn't come back right and what actually needed was uh, another full reboot her brain needed to be exploded again (laughs) oh how awful after it was turned off and on again she's like oh shit yeah it's all back now yeah um but but she's back and she helps to fight off the assassin Mm. uh she 
goes back to with, with uh, Mishino to the Mayano household and starts to try and figure out, you know, what the fuck they're going to do. Mm. Try and find Mimi and everything like that. On their way to doing that, Apos has appeared with a bunch of angels and kills all of the immortal woman, women who have met up at this time for another orgy. And yeah, so almost all of the immortal women have been killed. Yeah. And the dog, just because. Apos ends up taking Mimi up the mountain that they're staying, uh, up the hill that they're staying at. So um, uh, Rin needs to go off and follow along. And she finds, again, just unnecessarily awful, uh, Mimi tied up to a pole in the naked, in the snow, being sexually assaulted by Apos. Yes, the, this is the point in the show where, uh, because Apos is coming in and becoming more plot-relevant, uh, you need to see him actively doing more evil stuff, I guess. And yeah. what this looks like for two episodes in a row is torturing her and, and raping Mimi. <laughs> Not good. Didn't care for it. <laughs> no. Um, what I did care for, though, is uh, Rin rocks up and goes, Oh my god, it's you, Apos. Um... But then we find out that Apos is both a man and a woman. The big plot twist here, I'm sighing as I say this, <laughs> uh, is that uh, if you are intersex, you get fucking both sets of superpowers at the same time. Yeah, crazy, which answered my question from before, which I was super excited about. But also, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> it just... I don't know, that feels like, no, <laughs> that's not how that would work. Well, I mean, like, like I said, it went to the effort of explaining the edge cases. It, did. it and, did. And and what happens there. You would think it would actually happen more often if that's the case, because mm-hmm. intersex is like a one in 100 condition. Yep. Also, <laughs> very problematic that we've got our one intersex character and, oh, they're an awful, sadistic, evil well, person. Like, Well, uh, I mean, it's heavily implied to me, at least, that the, the other guardian of the tree, uh, Tajimamori, is is also intersex. Okay. He is also an angel and immortal. And we have been told that the way that this happens is... Yeah, okay. I, I had assumed that that was just because of his role, as we find out later, the White Guardian. Like, I, I had assumed that it was, like, he was whatever, like, a normal dude before and then became the White Guardian, and that's what made him both immortal and an angel. But, no, okay, he he might be intersex as well. Yeah, that was my reading of it, at least. Yeah, okay, that, that makes more sense. Okay. So we've got two intersex people. One's good, one's bad. So you've got a 50-50 <laughs> shot, everyone. Um, so yeah, uh, when this then happens, uh, so Rin rocks up and finds Mimi and Apos being an awful person, and then Apos kills Rin and takes her time fruit. Yes. Didn't know it worked that way. Like <laughs> That you can regenerate from just a time fruit. Yeah, but but also like, but after having specifically having the time fruit taken out, because at least when uh, Rin regenerated from ju- basically just being a time fruit after being like in basically torn to pieces in the um, jet engine, like at least then like the time fruit wasn't taken out of her body before she died. It was like dying while it was still in her. Whereas in this case, it's the, the he takes out the time fruit and her body like falls to dust as. What, was, what happened with all the other people when they had the time for it taken from them. And we, then... We do start playing hard and fast with the fantasy rules around Yeah, because in the next episode, she comes back to life again by Apos, like, basically putting her time fruit in a bunch of clothes and then she's being like haha come back <laughs> and she's alive again but it's, she's she not like a different person into just, the dress. yeah, yeah. That, that was that was fun yeah just <laughs> a pile of clothes on the floor and it's like poof they're all on me perfectly yes. um yeah and so 
now we start this next episode, Rin is stuck in a castle somewhere. Yeah, I felt that this was just not a strong... Where this show has always done best is when it is doing, like, high-concept mysteries. Yes, yeah. And we we just stopped doing that at the end of the show. Yeah, this has definitely always been a better mystery show than it has been fantasy, whatever this thing is. Yeah. It's Apos's castle. It's not on Earth. It's, like, in between the realms somewhere. Yeah, it is connected to the power of Yggdrasil. This yeah. is the castle that you get when you are the guardian of Yggdrasil. Yeah. Um, so she's in this castle and she's, this is Apos's castle. So eventually she gets like kind of gets to be able to wander around and figure stuff out. And she basically just gets, spends the next episode and a half just being tortured by, um, Apos, not him physically, but just like, you know, tied back up and put an angel in front of her or something like that. Like just, <laughs> yeah. just getting messed with. How do you feel about Apos's interior design choices? Uh, yeah, not in line with the rest of his character, if I'm honest. Like, <laughs> it's just his drab old castle. Uh, yeah, he's got some very strange things where it keeps going back to him playing a chess game with this immortal woman who is tied up and, you know, filled with swords. Yeah, is this chess game meant to... Because, you know, chess is can be used as a metaphor for, like... Com- like a, like a, uh, a long-term like conflict or battle between two characters oh, but i mean but he's they're, they're not fucking chess pieces he's got like warhammer pieces on here yeah but, but he's got like, like kingdom death monster pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the idea of having a chessboard is that like yeah okay i've made my move now i'll see what the next move is on your behalf but brin's not got any of that happening she's just like living life and these things just keep randomly happening it's not like she has a master plan and he has one so it's just this one-sided thing of haha i'm gonna fuck with you again <laughs> i'm gonna fuck with you again so that metaphor kind of like falls to the wayside strange man uh, he explains that his big evil master plan is that he he wants to uh make the world so in shitified and terrible like it's like i'm gonna blow up power plants i'm gonna start wars people are gonna be begging for you know my time fruits and then i'm gonna give it to them all and then they're gonna fucking see because then you know all the men are gonna uh, rape and eat all the women and yeah i'll I'll have like a, a kingdom of angels and also, I want to know everything that has ever happened and existed. Yeah, like he's got the two-part plan. There's that, and then there's this other bit that only appears and gets ex- like any like dialogue and anything related to it in the final episode. And it's all just kind of lore dumped on us at the end. Yes. Apparently, you know, we did get a shot of it in like an earlier episode of just this tower of white naked ladies that were just super hungry for yeah, time well, fruits. This, this has been in the 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 opening of the show it, it has been in the opening of the show um yeah. and you know i guess for the whole time you're like okay they're just doing a, a visual thing yeah. you know the tower of ladies is a real is a real thing yeah it's a real thing um it's a tower of like ancient immortal ladies who have basically just given up the will to live and are now just in this tower and it's meant to serve as like a seed for or say the start of a new seed for a new Yggdrasil. Yes. And he wants to make this new seed and then basically become in charge of that and gain all of the knowledge that's inside it because the Yggdrasil is effectively just a font of all of the knowledge that women have gathered over the t- over time. Cool, I guess. Weird. It's... Yeah. It, it doesn't take the next step of explaining why he wants that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's just this megalomaniacal and, dude that yeah. just wants power. Yeah, and like, yeah, to that degree, I suppose yeah, at this point it is trying to convey that uh, the way that immortals' brains work has been like very severely affected by time and by having injuries over and over. Like, he, Apos makes the point of saying it's very impressive that Rin's mental faculties are so intact and that all of her behaviors are so coherent and logical. Because that is not the case for anyone else who has lived as long as she has. Yes. And you discover that, you know, she's been around since uh, pre-feudal Japan. Yep. Yeah. Did you recognize the outfits from her flashbacks? I I did. They The, the flashbacks, every, every time they happened, they got slightly, like, less fuzzy as it went on. At one point I went, oh, yeah, that's, like, a dude in samurai armor. But... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's something from a, a, a an earlier period than that where they have these big straw shoulder pads. Yeah, so th- those straw shoulder pads are actual traditional samurai armor. Um, oh, actual okay. samurai armor was mostly made of like straw. Effect. Oh, no, actually, yeah. He he would have been before samurai samurai. He would have been just like random warrior dude. Um, but yeah, like started with that and then it ended up being much more uh, kind of over time became more stronger and more intricately woven Um they're still effectively straw, but there would have been straw, maybe a bit of metal underneath it. Um, bits of wood in there too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Like, everyone, go and play Ghost of Tsushima. It's an amazing game. Yeah. You can set it to Kurosawa mode, which makes everything black and white and kicks up the wind. So everything just starts swaying. Great game. Great to, great way to play the game. Um, <laughs> you'll see a lot of classic Japanese samurai, Japanese samurai, Japanese samurai armor, things like that. Cool stuff. Yeah. So we have a little flashes of that because A, it wants to convey how old she is and B, it wants to convey that she knew Tajima Mori from when she very first became an immortal. Yeah, who, who again is the current guardian of the um, mm. of Yggdrasil? No, he is the... Apos is the current guardian. Oh, right. So he, he was he, the he guardian was, before Apos. Yeah, sorry. No, but isn't he still... He mm. is still up until the final moments, isn't he? No, that is not my understanding. Because he, he can let them in the thing. That's the power of being the guardian. He, he still has some of the old guardian powers. He's now, like, living in a castle in, like... Yeah, he, he's in e- his own Egypt castle. Egypt actually, oh, actually in the world. And <laughs> it's the way to get into the other castle if you're not intersex immortal person. I don't know. Mm. Again, that power is not really explained. Like, how can <laughs> how is it that Apos is able to teleport around the world like this? Do you think there were time constraints happening when they put this episode together? Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it. Or, or this is again like that idea of they're trying to make these things in longer episodes, and so they're trying to fit enough stuff in, but they're not used to working in that. So the the final episode, they're like, yeah, it's a big episode. And they're like, oh shit, we've put too much stuff in. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we need to cut. This. We, maybe you should not make twenty minutes of the episode Rin swanning around a castle and getting intimately tortured. Yeah, that was <laughs> like, that was pretty excruciating. Not, is, not because of the torture, time. just because it's just yeah, nothing's happening. We're just still we're still here. Yeah, she's still running around. Okay, she's still she's getting chased by the. Okay, Hey, she's still here. We, we know all, right. all this. We know that angels have this effect on them. Yeah, just, yeah. So how it ends is like uh, Mimi and uh, Misho end up finding the castle. They find uh, Tajima Mori, who opens up his portal and lets them through. Um, and it is just as Apos is uh, shoving Rin into a, the seed that he's created. For that, Tajima Mori also comes along and he has sex with Rin for he, some reason. He d- because he needs to impregnate her. Because she's going to carry the next guardian. Yeah. Which he apparently has the ability to 
Yeah, that's why I thought he was still the guardian. I'm still just so confused. (laughs) But anyway, first they have sex. Then she gets basically shoved into the egg of the world tree. And inside the seed of the world tree, she experiences psychedelic shit. I don't even really want to go deep into it. That's where we find out that the world tree is (laughs) like the, the, the repository of all the knowledge that immortal women have gained. Yeah, or they also say when time fruits pass through anything... And yes. They collect the information from whatever they've passed through. Yeah. And so if you could get all that information, it would be like experiencing the entire world through all of history simultaneously. Again, don't know why you'd want to do that. Yeah, that sounds like an awful time, to be honest. Um, but anyway, she gets in there. The, the seed tries to like take it, take her into itself, I think, to basically just become the next world tree. But she ends up being able to reject it. Because of the power of friendship. Of the Mayano family. Of the Mayano family, of course. And yeah, we discover that Tajima Mori is the ancestor of all of the other characters she's been hanging out with. Of, of uh, Okoki, of Teruki, of Mishio. Yeah, because way back in ancient Japanese history, at some point, the, there were like four families that had helped him out with something. And so he basically blessed them and went, you're going to be important people in the future and it turns out that now is why they're important because it's her memories of them that of the Mayano family that help her to resist the Yggdrasil fruit and get back out and become an angel immortal cool I again like I don't understand what the fuck's going on we're just gonna push past that and uh, yeah if you were coming listening to this hoping for answers uh, we don't have them no god no there are no answers <laughs> this this is of all of the shows that we have watched here the most confused I've been at the end of one of them yeah yeah for sure um and then they end up uh, throwing <laughs> throwing Apos into the seed himself and yeah and then he becomes the new seed thing tower the white tower comes back and he's at the top of it they they try and make a weird point here where they say oh you know you've been eating all these women's souls but you've never eaten a man's soul and so there's going to be no men in there to help you whereas when i got out it was because there were men in there to pull me out (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's weird and again like she has to rely on the men to help her out like uh She's got this fantastic relationship with Mimi right here, but no, Mimi, her relationship with Mimi is not important. It's her relationship with these random dudes. Yeah, Mimi does get downplayed and shafted by the show towards the end of it, which is annoying, yeah. especially when through a lot of it, like, uh, it, it conveys how important Rin is to Mimi. Yeah. And they they have a relationship where they're, they're having sex for a lot of this. Or, uh, they're, they're not dating or in a relationship strictly. But they, they have some kind of relationship that, I guess, makes sense when you're immortal. Yeah. It and feels, you're the it, two immortals that it feels like, trust each other. It feels like they're sisters. But again, being immortal, they're like, oh, we can have sex. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. And like, again, weird, but okay. Like, it's it's a nice relationship. Like, they deeply care about each other. And that's cool. It's good. And I want to give the show points for giving us lesbian rap in the form of adults. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I think there is a thing... This is a thing that I've heard about Japanese culture. You can uh, correct or comment or otherwise. But the attitude towards uh, lesbian relationships in media is that it's it's fine if it's teenage girls because they've got this attitude where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, teenage girls, they're exploring, they'll just mess around. And then when they grow up, they will grow out of it. I can't confirm that as fact, but 
I could definitely see that as being a thing. I will just go right out and say that a lot of Japan is very, very conservative, mm. um, especially on gender and sexual sexual stuff, like in terms of um, gay and lesbian people and whatnot. Uh, still currently, uh, like uh, gay and lesbian people cannot get married, and the high court effectively, rec- and the most recent like uh, attempts to get it through and to get the law changed that I saw, um, the, <laughs> the high court of Japan effectively said, this should be changed. Absolutely. But we can't do that. You've got to take it to the government. And the government is just 100% against it. So not a great time. But a uh, big challenge for the people there that are working very hard to try and yes, uh, just definitely. drag that through. Um, and But yeah, there is a general sentiment, I would say, of negativity towards any any same-sex relationship stuff. Um, when I was there, I had a friend who was gay. And, you know, back at home in America, he was very openly gay. He's also from Texas, so he wasn't always. Like, when he was in Texas, he was not. But when he was out of Texas, he was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in Japan, he was mostly not I had to go open. back into the closet again, right? Yeah, yeah. because it just being openly gay would have pretty well ruined a lot of his work relationships and just made it impossible to do his job, basically. Hmm. Um yeah, the, the the point I was trying to get to is like I'll always give more props to someone that shows like an adult yes. same sex relationship in media uh, like that. That to me, it, it it moves beyond what can sometimes just be Yuri bait. Yes, with, oh, Ab- teenage girls kissing each other. Absolutely, because you've also got the idea of if you're having it being teenage girls who are mm-hmm. doing it, like it's it, it mentally at least it, I th- I feel like this is a case mentally it's it's a bigger stretch to connect that like love for each other into the fact that they would probably have sex. Whereas for an adult, it's much easier to go like, you know, if they're an adult, so they're going to have sex. They're going to be having sex. Oh, that's, that's shifty. Whereas when it's teenagers, there's that kind of, oh yeah, they're young. They probably don't know what sex is. So it's fine. Like, yeah, as you said, they're exploring, they're figuring stuff out and they'll get out of it. They'll get over it quickly. It doesn't happen that way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Props to them. Good representation happening here. Mimi should have been treated a lot better at the end of this show. But- for sure. Thank you for listening to Endless 08. I've been Duffo. And I've been BJ. You can find all our stuff at endless08.com and on our social media. If you know a real freak, tell them about the show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>